As we continue going through the life of Jesus and really Jesus' early ministry, today we're going to be looking at something that happens um, later on than a lot of us think. Sometimes we think that Jesus immediately got his disciples, got baptized, and then moved on to his ministry, or got baptized, got his disciples, and then moved on to his ministry. And today we're going to be looking at this calling of the first disciples, the, uh, the really the, the first time that Jesus looks at a few people and says, drop what you're doing and follow me. So today, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 42. And read with me, if you would. It says, now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So it was, when, as the multitude uh, pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And they, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So that they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that your word speaks to us and that there's application even in some of these stories that sometimes we just read as more historical stories. There's literal personal application that we can pull away from these stories. So I pray that today you would speak to us, that you would encourage us with your word, and Lord, that we would grow closer to you because of it. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So when we talk about what's happening here, the word discipleship keeps coming up in my mind because, A, that's kind of what I do, but also discipleship is just that key within a Christian's walk that helps them grow closer to Jesus. And we talk about it often, and then we, we talk about that if you're a man, if you're a woman, a follower of Christ, you should be either discipling someone or being made a disciple, but always both. We should be doing both of those things, being discipled and discipling. And we see that in Matthew 28. We see Jesus give us the command to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so that is what we are to do. We are to be making disciples and we're to be baptizing them and training them up in the way they should go. Um, here in Luke 4 and into chapter 5, we see um, Jesus really exemplify what it looks like to be not only a disciple maker, but we also see in Peter's reaction, and, and James and John even, the reaction that we should have towards Jesus in that disciple-making process. How to be a disciple, as well as how to make disciples. And so we're going to be looking at a few different things. And so the first thing that we want to look at is Jesus being the 
perfect example of what a disciple maker is. And he shows us this. As always, it's important to give us context of what's actually happening around Jesus at this time and, and where we, you know, we started in verse 42 and it says now when it was day, that kind of thing, like what's going on, what's happening. But he, we just looked in chapter 4, we, we see Jesus ministering to the people. He's ministering to their needs. He's healing the sick. He's even casting out demons. And he's, he's working literally all night uh, to do this. Um, there's, there's no indication at all that he slept, that he, that he had any kind of rest during this time. As we see in verse 42, that he continued on to try and find a secluded place to pray and to rest, which prayer was Jesus' rest. When we talk about what's recharging your batteries, what, what do you do when you're stressed out? A lot of us will talk about, well, a vacation to Mexico would be really nice, or you know, a day on the boat, or we talk about camping or fishing or whatever it may be that, we, that really recharges our batteries. What recharged Jesus' batteries was time with the Father prayer in a secluded place. And I'm sure that he enjoyed doing other things that brought him physical enjoyment. Um, but that is the one that we see continually. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, it was his custom to pray. It was, it was his custom to go seek God. And so as usual, the, the people are seeking him out. They're chasing him down. They're, they're desiring for him to continue ministering to them, which is understandable. You're seeing miracles. You're being fed. It, it, you would not want to come down off of that spiritual high. So, so they're seeking him out. They find him, and they immediately seek to learn, to be healed, and really to hear from him. And that's, that's, the, that's the different uh, levels of some of these people. There were definitely a lot of people that just wanted to be healed or just wanted to see miracles. But there were a lot of people there that wanted to hear what Jesus had to say because, as we talked about before, he didn't speak like a normal rabbi. He didn't teach like a normal teacher. And so they were wanting to hear from him. And <clears throat> it's, it's more than fair to assume at this point that Jesus is tired. Physically, definitely, but even spiritually and emotionally, I mean, it's just exhausting um, to, to go through those things. And we have to remember that while Jesus is 100% God, he's also 100% man. And so the physical limitations of being a man are still there on him. And so being tired was definitely a given at this point. There are many people who, who know what it's like to work long hours. There, there are a lot of people who, who know what it means to, to be serving the emotional needs of people while working long hours. Um, and, and there are a few people that know what it's like to be serving the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of a few people for long periods or long hours. But really, only a small number of people have experienced multitudes of people chasing them down desiring that ministry, expecting the exercising of demons <laughs> and, and, and to be cast out of them and, and so many other needs that they had for literally days with no rest. Overnight, there's this idea that Jesus worked all through the night, he worked all the day, and yet these people are still needing more. And so it's fair to say that Jesus was tired at this point, in his, definitely in his physical um, limitations as far as being a man. Yet, as we see 
time and time again, we have this unique reaction from Jesus that's far different than how uh, many of us would react in this situation because many of us would push people away, say, I need time, give me a day or two and, and we'll be back, you know, next Tuesday, whatever it may be. But Jesus has this unique reaction of not only ministering to people, but teaching them and doing it in a way that causes them to grow closer. He, 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 he does it in a way that proclaims that, that God is in charge of his life, that shows people that God is the one that controls his every, every step. And we see this even when he says here in verse 43 of chapter 4, he says to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. He's saying to them, I want to stick around, but I've got to move on as well because I, I've been, this is why I've been sent here is to minister to people. And so as they press into him in, in chapter 5, he, he, sees, he sees his calling as the reason he's here. He sees his calling as the very reason why he has purpose or whatever. And, and so it was more important, his calling was more important than his earthly flesh comforts to the point of no sleep. And now I'm not saying that necessarily we should deprive ourselves of sleep, but we should take this example as seeing that he's willing to put earthly comforts on the back burner so that he can minister to the people's needs. And this should be, a, this should be something that we take a, uh, account of because he had important tasks that needed to get done. His time was limited. He, he had extremely limited time, more than most of us, and yet he put God's purposes above and before his own desires and wants. It, it wouldn't be fair for us to try to act like God in that sense, uh, but I think that we see a good example of, of what our attitude should be when we follow him. When we truly follow Christ and follow God and follow his purposes for us, I think we see a, a very important message here that it isn't about whether or, not, whether or not I got my 16 hours of beauty sleep or whether or not you know, everything is going right for me. And as long as it's not Monday or as long as I have my coffee in me or as long as I'm, you know, didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed, I'll be there for you. That's not Jesus. Like he didn't wake up on any side of the bed and yet he was still ministering to the people. When we claim to be followers of Christ, there are consequences to that claim. And one of those consequences is that we're no longer in control of our own lives. We submit to the king's commands. We, we live according to his purposes and, and his calling on our lives. It, it, it definitely means sacrifice. It definitely means that we put things that other people say are necessities away from us. And we say, that's not a necessity. What's a necessity is that I glorify God with everything that I do. It requires sacrifice, but that cost is well worth it in the end when we talk about how we interact with Jesus, how we get to be a part of his family, how we are adopted as sons and daughters into his family because of those things. And so is there a consequence to following Jesus? There are, there are plenty of consequences to following Jesus. It's just a matter of whether or not we look at those as bad or good. And in, from what I can experience is it's not always easy, but that doesn't mean that it's always bad. And so 
Jesus missing out on a night's worth of sleep to minister to the people. Well, if you put that in comparative terms, in his opinion, ministering to the people far outweighed the importance of him getting sleep or him getting away from the people or him getting rest or him enjoying time on a beach or whatever it may be. And so we see this, this counter-cultural, counter-flesh um, desire of Jesus Christ where he, he dies to that what we would consider necessity. He dies to that. And he says, the necessity is that my father is glorified, that people are being brought to him, that they are being made into disciples, and that, that ultimately I am fulfilling the calling that he has given to me. And that is something that we as Christians cannot, or at least we should not, no, we cannot ignore. We cannot allow that to be something that we put on the back burner and say, well, I'll do my best, but first I need to take care of all of these needs. God will take care of our needs. He will, he will supply the, the rest, the energy, the wisdom that we need. We just need to be faithful to the call that he has given us. And so we see again in that perfect example in Jesus Christ in these last few verses of chapter 4, that perfect example of someone who is living a, a self-sacrificing life so that others can come closer to God so that others can learn how to glorify God. And Jesus doesn't start here, or sorry, he doesn't stop here, because he, he then immediately in chapter 5, he moves into this disciple-making process even deeper. If you read with me just in chapter 5 here, verses 1 through 4 again, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, notice what he was doing, he was ministering to them the word of God, he was giving them the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also referred to as the uh, Sea of Galilee, if that's helpful for the context, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. There are a few things that are happening here that really indicate what it looks like to be a disciple. And I know that it's subtle, but we need, to, we need to dissect these few verses to actually see how we can better serve Jesus in this, in this lifetime. And, and the first thing that we want to look at is Simon's, or it, you'll hear me refer to him as Peter, because it's the same person, just different names. But Simon's property. It's important to note that Peter was, was willing to let the Lord have use of his personal property. Um, he was allowing to... The, he was allowing Jesus to come in and utilize the boat. Um, we often have the same opportunity in our own lives, and if we yield our property and our possessions, it's amazing to see how he uses them and how he blesses us and others in the process. It would have been easy for Peter to look at Jesus and say, look, I just got in from a long night. Again, here's the juxtaposition because Jesus got, just got in from a long night as well. Well, Peter had his own long night, as we, as we read, of fishing. And it would have been easy for him to say, look, Jesus, I've been up all night. I've been fishing. It was a, it was a bad day. We didn't catch a thing. I just want to go home. I want to wash my nets and be done. But he didn't. He was open and willing to allow Jesus to utilize his property. And, and something that we could maybe learn from this in our own day is many of us have a, a dining room. Many of us have a table that we sit around with our families and we eat dinner. Um, I think that that's, 
That's an opportunity for, allow, for us to allow Jesus to utilize our property to minister to others. And by that, what I mean is invite people over to your house and feed them. Let them sit at your table. I know that it's hard and I, I, I understand that after a long day of work, you get home and you're ready to sit in front of the TV or, or hang out with your family or, or just relax and go to bed or whatever it may be. And yet when we allow God to say, you know what, I want you to take a step further. I know it's a little bit more tiring. I know that it's utilizing food that maybe you do or do not want to give away. I know that those are things, those are costs, those are sacrifices, but invite this family over and minister to them and let them see that you care about them and that you care about me. And when we do those things, and, and it's not just dinner, like, but, but other things as well, when we do those things, we are not just glorifying God, but we're also teaching others that their needs are more important than our needs. We are preferring them above our own. And so that's something that we see often in this. And Simon is, in this moment, he's not questioning Jesus. He's saying, go ahead, take my boat. Let's do this. And that leads us to our second thing, and that's Peter's work. The, the, the work that he was doing. Because he, he'd had a rough night. One, one that probably could have easily thrown a wrench in his entire business. In fact, it could have had such an effect on him that he wanted to quit the fishing industry altogether and just, you know what, I'll go be a lawyer or something because this was a bad night. And, and yet we see him, he, 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 he didn't throw in the towel, he didn't burn his boat to the ground, he didn't have his boat up for sale. He was doing what? He was washing the nets. And this becomes important later because, because the nets need to be washed to retain their strength. But it's interesting because he faithfully did the calling that he had on his life at the time. He was called to be a fisherman at the time. He was, he was, that was his trade. He was a fisherman. And so what do fishermen do? Even on rough nights, they get to work and they clean up their nets. They wash their nets. They stretch them. They repair them. All those things. And he could have easily just left the nets in the boat. I'll come back to it later. Um, right now I need to take care of... Uh, Peter needs to take care of... have some Peter time. You know, and, and yet he didn't. He got to work. He, he had a, a task to be done. And he started working to get things done. He didn't, he didn't just hang up the, the fishing rod and, and went home. Because he didn't do that, he got to experience Jesus. Because he didn't do that, he got to experience God. And, and again, here's the personal application for us is that there can be times when we feel broken and tired and like we're failures and our temptation is to get to shore, pack up and forget that we've even tried to be a fisherman in the first place. That we're, okay, I wasn't meant for this. I'm going to go on to something else. Or I was, you know, God obviously isn't in this, so I'm going to move on. And Peter could have had that attitude and could have told Jesus that, look, it's, I'm too tired. I'm too bad at this fishing thing. I just need to go home and rest. Um, and yet he didn't do that. He could, have, he could have hung up his nets and quit, but see, we see him doing the opposite of that and keeping up with his nets, keeping up with his gear, getting into his boat. Uh, he was being faithful to his job, not only as a fisherman, but as a person who probably knew who Jesus was at the very least, but 
starting that process of desiring to follow him. And we see that through Peter. And even when we are tired, it's important that we continue to faithfully serve God in the calling that he has given us. Keeping our nets washed, if you will, and keeping our, our boats afloat and available is key in our service to the Lord. It's, it's, it's kind of like this. God can steer a moving ship. And so we don't, we don't sit and twiddle our thumbs and wait for Jesus to come and start utilizing us. We get to work. We serve in the church. We do small things. And as we do small things, we, those small things become, we, we need more. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to do this now. And I want you to do this now. And it gets bigger and bigger. And we even see that succession here. He's washing his nets. He's being faithful. Some of us are serving in the church in, in small ways, maybe, but we are being faithful in that and we're waiting for God to steer our ship. If you're sitting in a boat and you're in the middle of the ocean and you're not moving forward at all, then your ship is not going to steer at all and you're just gonna sit and float in the ocean. But even if you're moving forward just this much, that rudder can take over and start turning you in different directions. And so we see Peter here doing that where he's, he's being faithful in this, and that's very good. And so we looked at the, the idea of the availability of his property. We looked at his working, and now we're going to look at the idea of what Jesus does to make disciple. Because Jesus gets into the boat and teaches the crowd, and then now he's going to turn to Peter and teach him how to trust God and follow his commands. Again, he gets into the boat. The boat casts out just a little ways at first. So Peter is just doing a little bit more than washing nets right now. He's just doing a little bit more. And the boat casts out a little ways so Jesus can talk to the multitudes of people. And we could get into the science behind all that. And it's kind of neat, but we don't have the time right now. But, but Jesus is teaching the people. And, he's, and I'm sure that Peter was listening. I'm, I doubt that Peter was asleep at this point. But Peter is listening and the people are listening and they're learning and they're experiencing Jesus and they're, they're close to Jesus. And Peter has done that because he's been faithful. And now Jesus is going to turn to Peter and he's going to teach him another valuable lesson about what it means to follow him. And Peter is going to have one of the most admirable spirits that I think anybody can have. And that's a teachable spirit. Someone who is humble and willing to learn. When Jesus is finished with the crowd, he asks Peter to cast out further into the water. There are a few beautiful things that, that are happening that give us that insight into how we can be ready to serve at any moment. So read with me from verses 4 on. It says, When he had stopped speaking, Jesus this is, and said, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and so that their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Jesus asked Peter to take another step of faith. Because at this point, Peter is probably like, great speech, great sermon, glad I was here for it. Let's get back to shore. Let's get a bite to eat and then go rest. I mean, that's possibly how he was thinking because that's how, I mean, I, I just assume that's what he was thinking because that's what I would have been thinking. It's like, that was great, Lord. But Jesus takes this opportunity to personally turn to Peter and say, all right, now I'm going to teach you something a little bit even more. We've gone this far. Your nets are washed. That's great. You were faithful in that. 
you, you utilized your property and you allowed me to use your property so that I could disciple others and so that other people could come to me. That's great. Now I'm going to push you a little bit more far and I'm going to push you into a more personal relationship with myself. And he says, cast out into deeper waters deeper waters. This is how God works in our lives. He sees our faithful service on the shore. He uses us to reach people with the gospel, and then he takes us deeper into areas where we are required to show more faith, and that tests our trust in him. It also tests our, our faith in him, because even we see Peter's response is initially what we might read as doubt, but it's not. See, this is what happens is Peter says here, it says in verse five, it says, but Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. If it ended right there, then this is a very different story. You see, Peter at this point is acknowledging that Jesus is a rabbi, a master. We have toiled all night. That's rabbi is what that word would be, rabboni. And it's the understanding, it's the acknowledgement of Jesus's wisdom in spiritual matters. He's saying, he's, it's, it's almost like saying, doctor, if you were talking to a doctor, I, I get it, doctor, you're a doctor, but I'm a lawyer and this is what's going on. And so this is the same idea, is, is Peter is saying, I acknowledge that you are an intelligent person, you are spiritually wise, you are emotionally wise, you are wise just in, in your very nature, and, and I, but I'm a fisherman, I'm a professional. We, we've worked at this all night and caught nothing. And, and that's, if that ended right there, that would be very discouraging because how often do we do that to Jesus? He kind of explains that while Jesus is an intelligent leader here, that Peter, I'm a professional fisherman and that fish are caught at night in, in the Sea of Galilee. And we've worked all night and we didn't catch anything. This is a bad spot. We're going to move on to something else. We're going to move on to different waters here. And and we've had no success, so why would we do that? And these are things that we do to Jesus all the time. Lord, I know that you want me to go deeper. I know that you want me to serve in that way. I know that you, you think I should do this, but you don't understand. I'm, I'm this way, or I'm that way, or I have this hang up, or I'm not ready, or, or whatever it may be. And we, we come up with the excuses, and some of them seem very valid excuses. They seem to be very uh, meaningful excuses in our own heart because... God just doesn't know better than I do. I know better than God. And if Peter had stopped here, it seriously would mirror many of the conversations that I've had myself with God. The kind of conversations where I look at God and say, you don't know what's right for me. I know what's right for me. And I need you to do this so that my will can be done. But we see through Jesus that he doesn't do that. And not only that, Peter, for all of his rash comments that we sometimes talk about and the, all the times that he puts his foot in his mouth, all of those times, he shows us something in this moment that should be our passion and goal in discipleship. And that is humility and that teachable heart. Because he doesn't just stop there. He... He's in he, he, he was able to change the entire conversation and the entire direction of the conversation based on one word, nevertheless. He says, I don't know about this, Lord. I get that you're a spiritual teacher. Nevertheless, I'm going to trust you at your word. That 
is encouraging to us. Because it's not that we aren't allowed to um, air our concerns to God. He, he appreciates that. Peter airs his concerns to Jesus in this moment. But he says, nevertheless, I'm going to do what you say. At your word, I'm going to trust you. At your word, I'm going to do the unthinkable. The, the thing that would make other people think I'm crazy because it doesn't work like this in Galilee. But I'm going to do it because you said that I would do it. He wasn't worried about being right. It wasn't, Peter wasn't worried about being right. Peter wasn't worried about being embarrassed. Or really, Peter wasn't worried about Peter at all. He desired to show glorification. It was about, a, it was about Peter, a man, saying that he would trust what the Lord had said. And that is something that should encourage us to do and to follow very closely in our own discipleship walks. And, and not only that, we see that he gets blessed and blessed abundantly because the nets that he prepared earlier were able to hold the fish that were, the boats were starting to sink because there were so many fish. There are so many, there are so many blessings and, and, and we, we would often, I know, I've heard people say it in this saying, well, they caught fish because of this, and here's all the scientific reasons why it wasn't a miracle. Look, I'm not interested in the scientific reasons. I'm interested in the fact that Peter trusted Jesus and Jesus came through, that we see time and time again the Lord come through, and that we can, in fact, trust him and give him our faith. It wasn't Peter's intelligence in this moment, he did not take pride. He didn't take credit. He humbly bowed at Jesus' feet. He saw clearly who Jesus was and how unworthy he was to even be near him. And this is true worship. This is what it means to worship God, is to humbly come before him and understand, I don't deserve to be here. It's only because of the gift that you've given me that I'm able to be here in the, in the first place. It's because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of what we have to give and the honor that we have to give him. And so that's what Peter is doing in this moment. And that's encouraging. That's something that we can, we can look at and be very um, excited about. But here's the thing is this is still not the end. This is not the end of the story. There's, there's one more amazing step that these men, meaning Peter, James, and John, take in their walk with Jesus. Let's read 5, 9 to 11. It says this. It says, <clears throat> excuse me. When Peter saw it, he, sorry, we'll back up to 8. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they, uh, they had brought their boats to land. When they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus tells them here, from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. That's kind of how some translations put it, other places in the Gospels put it. From now on, you're going to be fishers of men. And these men are humbled by this. And they go to shore. And they understand that from now on, their, their lives, their calling has been changed. Jesus is saying, from now on, you are going to do 
discipleship. You are going to make disciples. You're going to minister to people from now on. And it would have been easy after the catch of their lives to say, with all this money, I'm going to buy a fleet of boats. I'm going to hire some other fishermen. We're going to go into even deeper business. We're going to invest in this business. But what do they do? They get to shore and they forsook all and followed him. This idea of, I am not going to take anything from this. I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. I am going to forsake everything and follow him. That is some big language. That's some big words where they are saying, I'm, I'm done with the fishing industry. I'm done with the boats. I'm done with everything that is not Jesus Christ. That's what they're saying here. And that's what you and I are asked. Are we going to forsake all? Are we going to deny everything and follow him? Put down everything else, pick up our cross and follow Jesus Christ. Because that's what he's asking of us. That's what the desire is, is for us to grow in that way. And so have we abandoned, have you abandoned everything for Jesus Christ? Have you, have you offered him everything that you have so that he could be glorified? so that he would be magnified in your life? Have you, have you seen what he's capable of and humbly bowed down to worship him, understanding that we bring nothing to the table except for filthy rags? Let me encourage you to take the step to glorify him and put him first in your life because he alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is worth it to forsake everything in this world and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are able to work in our lives and teach us how we can become closer and how we can serve you more and how we can follow you better. I pray that you would teach us and show us every day how we can better serve you and how we can better glorify you with our possessions, with our time, and most importantly, Lord, with our lives. I pray that we would be willing to forsake everything so that you would be glorified in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.